0: First Corinthians, chapter six, verses 12 through 20. That's where we'll look this morning. Now, how many of you all are really awake this morning? Because I already thank you. Some are. All right. But I already had someone come to me and apologize for them sleeping in the service already today. So I'm serious. And uh, they they seem to have a good excuse, but uh, I'll have grace on you others. But I may come down off the pulpit, though, and stand right by you. All right. Is that okay? If I do that, that's the nice things about uh, the wireless remote here. Well, the last couple of times I've, I've spoken on the subject of, of marriage and uh, from Genesis chapters one through three. And uh, I just thought this morning that uh, I should be forthright with you and just share an area of, of conflict in uh, my marriage and with Elizabeth. It's serious. And uh, as you can tell, uh, Real serious. But uh, I have a habit where I get up in the mornings and I'm a slow waker upper and uh, I like to take my time getting up and going in the shower. And uh, as my wife says, I like to take my time primping, but uh, I don't call it that. All right. I just, you know, call it creating clean hands and hair and all those other things. But but uh, as I do that, I, I enjoy the habit of listening to the radio in the morning and uh, particularly, I enjoy listening to ESPN radio, radio, Mike and Mike in the morning. I just feel like I can get some deep uh, sports theology and some things that are going on in life. And I need to catch up with those things in the morning. And it, it only makes sense as I as I'm listening to radio and I move into the shower that you need to turn the volume up. Right. And so I do. OK. And uh, so I'm doing this and I'm just enjoying my, my morning and all of a sudden, my wife gets up, and, or she's probably already been up, and she comes in there, and all of a sudden, she just does this thing. And everything goes silent. And I drop my soap and shampoo, and I'm like, what? I was just in the middle. Mike was in the middle of a deep thought. And you turned it off. And it's become a, a source of conflict. And her reply is, I don't know what you get out of this. All I hear is blah, 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 basketball, blah, 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 football, blah, blah, blah. What What is it? Well, I got some good advice a couple weeks ago from someone in my relationship class. And they said, Matt, what you need to do is you need to go get one of those radios that are waterproof. And then just take it in their side of there. And as Joseph told me that. I just said, man, I, I think you saved my marriage. No. As I come to our, our subject this morning, um, I thought of ESPN Radio because lately on ESPN Radio, one of the stories that has been told has been told about a, a basketball player for Brigham Young University who was suspended uh, from playing on the basketball team for the rest of the year. And the the reason that he was suspended from the basketball team was that he uh, had admitted that he had premarital sex uh, with his girlfriend. And it was interesting to me to listen uh, to the radio's response to this. And uh, it was wide-ranging and different responses to it. And, uh, you know, some were like, uh, you know... Okay, I don't understand it. Why? What's the big deal? Others were like, well, I mean, he knew that going to the school. So, you know, that's the rules. But it's not for me. And just a whole different kind of responses. And kind of what I came away from this is in reality, when it comes to what this would be considered a sexually immoral thing. Because anything outside of marriage, uh, the word, as we're going to see today, immorality, the word poroneia, refers to anything outside, uh, sexually, uh, outside the bonds of marriage. But what I saw as I listened to this radio is I saw uh, a casualness when it came to the subject of sexual promiscuity. It's a real casualness about it this is what you're supposed to do. This is what's natural. Why suspend a guy for it? As I thought about it, that's a Mormon institution. I began to think about the institution of Christ's true church, which we're all a part of. And what statistics tell me as we look at the church, the evangelical church in particular, what statistics tell me and what my own experience tells me is that oftentimes within the church, there is a casualness of how we treat sex. I mean, we're not as bold and we don't say it as is pride as profound as sometimes how they say it on the radio. We just kind of. Just don't talk about it, but we often can do our own thing. We keep it hidden. I mean, because it's really, I'm only human. It's a need. And so it's become a casualness in the church. What I'm here to tell you this morning, and what I want to emphasize to you this morning, is I want to come with all grace but God never meant for the topic of sex and sexuality to be taken with casualness. God, just as He created marriage and the family for His glory, God created sex and it's to be used for His glory. You and I, believers, are not our own. We were bought with a price. We were purchased. Therefore, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, glorify God in your bodies. That's what I want to speak about today. How we're to do that. Now, when you want to think about casualness of the attitude towards sex, you just go ahead and you turn to Corinth or the book of Corinthians here, because the city of Corinth was a place where sex was a casual thing. It was a it was a, it was a fabric of the culture. Matter of fact, uh, the city of Corinth, um, what Paul does here, Paul's addressing in this letter here to Corinth several different issues. They were a struggling church being kind of finding themselves pulled back into uh, uh, the ways of the world. And he dresses such things as divisions and pride and worldly wisdom and sexual promiscuity. Even deals before we come to our passage here, he deals with a incestuous relationship where a uh, a man had a sexual relationship with his uh, his stepmother. And the church itself even boasted on the fact that they were just kind of allowing that to happen. And then as we come up to our our section here, he's going to deal with some very specific things, but also sexual immorality in general. Miss Corinth was a place where sex permeated uh, the culture so much so that... uh, the city had a temple for the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. A temple full of, uh, of prostitutes so that those who would go and worship could use sex as a means of worshiping this goddess Aphrodite. And so it was pervasive within this culture. Matter of fact, so, so pervasive was this that the term Corinthianizing became synonymous with, with, uh, with being with a prostitute. How would you like to be from Corinth? How would you like to plant a church in Corinth? Actually, when I say that, I think we've got churches in places that is often like Corinth. Because as I look at the fabric of the United States of America, sex, as in Corinth, has in many ways become a religion. People have made it their idol. It's everywhere, isn't it? It's on the commercials. It's on the billboards. It's on your phones. It's on your computers. It's in your workplace as people talk about it. become a thing of worship. And as the church of Christ in Corinth was trying to take root, it was hard for them to break with their old ways. And they were being sucked back into it. And so Paul, out of all love and out of all grace, he comes and he writes some fairly difficult words to write. He starts with these words. Let me back up for you in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. He says, or do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor uh, idlers, nor effeminates, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says this in verse 11. Such were some of you. Get that word. Past. But you were washed, you were regenerated, you experienced new birth, being born again. You were sanctified. That is, you were set apart and being set apart to holiness. But you were justified that is, you were declared righteous positionally that you're standing before God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of God, what he's saying is, this is what you once were and this is what this city is full of, but this isn't who you are anymore. Don't go back to that. Don't let that suck you back in. Don't let the culture bring you back to this. Don't let your own flesh yield to this. Because that's what you were. But God, in all His glory, He saved you from that to make you His own. So flee sexual immorality. This morning, what I want to give you is I want to give you three, just three compelling reasons rooted in the triunity of God why you should flee sexual immorality. And maybe this morning, the issue is not with you. Maybe God has given you victory in this area, but the reality is there are people who do not have victory in this area, and they're sitting here with you, they're in your workplace. Or perhaps it's your children or your grandchildren someday who are going to have to learn how to live in the culture of Corinth. And you need to sit down with them, parents. You need to open the Bible with them. And you need to share with them, here is why we don't want to be involved in these things. Sex is good, but only within the glory of God. The first reason I want to share with you this morning is that the believer's body is for God the Father. Now, before we get to unearth that truth, Paul first has to kind of break through some of the rationalization that the church in Corinth was using. You know rationalization, don't you? Yeah, I do. The church in Corinth was using that. Verse 12, they say, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable all things are lawful for me but I will not be mastered by anything now depending on what version you have in your Bible some versions have uh, I am all things are lawful they have it in parentheses and that's interpretive that is they believe that what this probably is is that it was a slogan that was used uh, or a catchphrase that was common amongst the, the Corinthians or in the church there that all things are are lawful for me. Now, this might have been rooted partly in the, the, the sexually liberated society that they were in. But to me, it seems that it was probably a misinterpretation or misuse of perhaps Paul's own teaching. For Paul, if you go through many of his letters, he speaks of how we are free from the law, that we're no longer under, law, under the law. But what, what Paul was referring to was that we're no longer under the Mosaic law in the sense that We cannot save ourselves, nor are we bound by the law to keep these ritual aspects to to grow us spiritually. You're saying you're free from that. You're under the law of Christ. And that growth comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, not keeping a list of do's and don'ts, keeping the law. It doesn't mean we throw out all moral principles, though. Now notice how Paul deals with this. He doesn't come right out and dispute them. He, he enters into what is known as a diatribe. It was a common way of, of, of teaching and talking in those days, a, a dialogue of sorts. It's as if Paul says, OK, all things are lawful, that is to an extent. But then he throws this out to them, but not all things are profitable. In essence, is the practice, and remember, the particular practice that's in mind here is sexual immorality in general, but also he's going to specifically talk about prostitution. And so what's on their mind is they're using this rationalization is this, this bigger subject that's going to come in the verses uh, here in a few moments. So he's asking, is the practice, sexual immorality and prostitution, is it really profitable? Now, this is when you've got to put yourself in the situation of the reader of the letter. That is, actual people initially received this letter from Paul, and that was probably read to the church, and you can just feel it as it's being read to you. They had to start thinking, is it profitable for me? What about all those guilt feelings that these, because if they're true believers in Christ, they would have been feeling. What about all these guilt feelings maybe they're I'm struggling with? I'm trying to rationalize this, but... Deep inside me, I am I'm, I'm I'm feeling guilty and unclean. Some of them are probably thinking about what about all the, the problems and stresses this is this is causing with my, my, my wife and the anger and the disputes. What about when someone laughs at me and says, You're a believer, you're no different than than us? Is it really profitable? That's what they're thinking. Is it really helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it expedient? Is it good? And I ask you that question, Church. Is it? Is sexual immorality is it really profitable when you when you really think about it, not in the the, the few moments of, of gratification, but in the long haul? Is it profitable? Paul then rebuts their, 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 this catchphrase in this way. He says, oh, "Okay, Christians, or oh, okay, Corinthians, all things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything." In other words, Christians, you say all things are lawful, but are you really free? Are you really free? I mean, you say you're free to do whatever you want, but does doing what you want really make you free, or are you enslaved by it? Do you have control over sexual immorality, or does sexual immorality have control over you? That's what he's asking. Let me tell you something slavery is dangerous. Slavery to sexual immorality, any sin, is dangerous. It can take you on paths you never thought ever you would go down. Oh, no, not me. Guess what? Yes, you. It will. All right, there is nothing more enslaving than sexual sin. It's one of those things, the more that you indulge, The more that you want. Because it can't satisfy you. People say again, oh, Matt, that that won't happen to me. Come on. I ask, come on, man. Do you think you are beyond the possibility of making your life a shipwreck? Do you think... I mean, the question is, where do you think backsliders and... Where do do you think they come from? They come from people who hear Paul's words later, take heed lest you fall, but then the face of it, they say, not me. And their pride leads them to a fall. My point is this. Sin will enslave you. It will sear your conscience. And it will destroy your life. And nothing t- quite does it like sexual immorality. You know why, as Grant preached last week, you know why Christ was so adamant where He used the language of just to tear one of your eyes out if it caused you to stumble? It's because He knew how devastating and destructive sin is. In verse 13, Paul takes on another catchphrase used to rationalize sexually promiscuous behavior. He says, the saying seems to go, for food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food. But God will do away with both of them. Now, this is perhaps somewhat reflective of the Greek philosophy that what done in the body doesn't really matter. But listen to this. Food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food. But God will do away with both of them. Does this reasoning, particularly that first part, is that... Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar ring of rationalization for the practice of sexual immorality? It may not go like that, but we may hear it this way. I'm only human. Or God made me a sexual being. I mean, I have these, I have these urges, so shouldn't I, shouldn't I satisfy those urges? Food, we're hungry. Our stomachs require food, so let's eat. My body desires and has an appetite for sex, so what's wrong with going with a prostitute? Paul jumps in here quickly. He cuts them off in their thinking. And he says, yet the body is not for immorality. He cuts their rationalization off quick and he says that yet the body is not for immorality, the body, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. And to show how much God is for the body, he says this, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through him, through his power. In essence, what he's saying is what you do in your body does truly matter. God has a purpose for it here and now, and so much does He have a purpose for it here and now, that in the future, He's going to resurrect it. He's going to glorify it. In matter fact, we're told that it's going to be in the likeness or the appearance of Christ somehow. So your body does matter. It has significance to God. And guess whose body it is? It's His. Not yours. Such were some of you. But the body is the Lord's, and the Lord is for the body. The Lord is for sex. It's a good thing. He created it. But it's for the Lord. By that it means for that to be enjoyed in the way that it's meant to be enjoyed. And for God to be glorified by it, that it must take place within the parameters that He has designed it for to take place in. Because it's His body. And it's His design. Your body is for the Lord. In verse 15, though, he quickly gives a second reason. The believer's body is in union with, with Christ. He says in verse 15, As he's kind of got their attention now, as he's gone through the rationalization, as he's made the statement that your body is for the Lord, then he says, let me take you a little bit deeper. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? There were once members of adultery. There were once members of fornication and homosexuality and all other kinds of sin. But he says now they are members of Christ. Christ. Ephesians 1-2 tells us that Christ is the head of the church. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven tells us that now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You are a part of it. In essence, Christ didn't just save us. He didn't just wash us and sanctify us and uh, justify us just so that we could go and do whatever we want. No, he brought us in into his body to be a part of it. Now, obviously, this is a a spiritual thing. That is the moment that you and I accept Christ as our Savior through the work of the Holy Spirit, which which I believe is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He takes us as believers spiritually and places us into the body of Christ and Christ into us. It's a it's a mysterious thing. Paul writes of that in Ephesians chapter five, how this is a is a mystery for us to really grasp it. But it's not only spiritual, I think, but there's a physical component to it also. Because in, in, in all ways, what Christ is endeavoring to do is that we physically are to represent Christ in this world. In many ways, we are to be the incarnation of Christ and all that he stands for and for his ministry through representing him here on this earth as the body of Christ. Christ. He is the head and He rules and He reigns. But He seeks to operate through us individually as representatives of His body. That's a deep truth, guys. Can you imagine the Corinthians as they began to process this? And then Paul says this. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Shall I do that?
1: May it never be.
0: May it never be. May I ever never do such. It is so incomprehensible to think that one could ever use what is part of Christ's own body. Paul says, "May it never be." See, sex is not casual for us as believers. It's rooted in deep theology and deep truth. Look what Paul says further. It only gets deeper. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now it's not saying if you go and you you have relationships with a prostitute that you're you're married to them but he's hitting at how how devastating this is When one joins themselves with a prostitute they're fulfilling what God has designed only to be fulfilled inside of marriage alone And sex is not it's not casual God, God did not create it. And there's so much deep mystery involved in, in sexual union so to use it carelessly and to carelessly give it away to someone else. You, you want to know why, why adultery is so devastating? Why it's so devastating? Because when you go and you join yourself in, in union with someone else, there is a, another union that has been sanctioned by God. Which he designed, that he created to have. That's 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 fostered in this, where a man leaves a woman, and he joins himself to her. He leaves his mother and father, and he joins himself to this woman, and they 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 have this commitment that they make, and then after that commitment, it creates an environment where oneness can begin to happen. It's not just oneness, just mentally or emotionally, but. Physically and spiritually, all those things joined. And then in that context is where where uh, they can begin to be naked and not ashamed. So when you take that, that deep truth and that, that, that mysterious union between the husband and the wife, and then you take it over and you share it with someone else, you are tearing apart not just a a physical thing, but mental and emotional and spiritual things are being torn apart and severed. That's why it's so awful. And Christ is involved in it because you're a part of His body. Warren Wiersbe writes this. He says, Sex outside of a marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but is not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank. There is safety, security, and he will collect dividends. Sex within marriage can build a relationship that brings joys in the future, but sex apart from marriage has a way of weakening future relationships, as every Christian marriage counselor will tell you. This is for those who have not yet committed themselves to marriage. Don't rob yourself. Don't rob yourself now of something that God has for you in the future. I've I've even pondered upon this. As I've thought about this, I, I wish I had never even kissed another girl. You think about it? You really think about it. I wish I hadn't. Because God has given me something so much more special and deeper that I wish I just saved everything. Everything. For her. It's worth it, guys. You tell your children that, parents. They need to know that. Let them learn from your mistakes. Because you know I'm right. Tell them. He goes on, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So not only is there. This straining of, of the marital relationship, but there's at the heart of this, there's the straining of, of, of the relationship with your Lord. Because as members of Christ, when you allow these other things, as they allow prostitution, as we allow other sexual immorality things, all that does is cause friction in your relationship with the Lord. And that's not what he wants for us. I mean, could you imagine, I mean, just also how it even taints the witness? Could you imagine that in Corinth, that these people are supposed to be members of Christ and then they make their way to prostitutes? How it tainted that witness and how it brought Christ into that? Now, Christ wasn't tainted by that himself. I like how John MacArthur puts it. He says Christ is not personally tainted with the sin any more than a sunbeam shines on a garbage dump is polluted. But yet we still are members of Christ. So what is Paul's answer? Paul's answer is this in verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Flee it. Run from it. The verb here is a present tense it's a present tense imperative, which carries the idea of, of continually fleeing. Go on fleeing until you've passed the danger. Flee from it. Notice Paul doesn't say there, there, stand there, be courageous. Stand up to sexual immorality. He doesn't say work hard. Steadfastly resist it there. Now what he says, is, says, get your running shoes on and get out of there. Flee. Do a Joseph. You know what I mean? What Joseph did in Genesis, the book in the Bible. Remember Potiphar's wife? She'd come and she was kind of, you know, doing her thing with her hair and all that. And she was trying to entice him in there. And one time she got a hold of his coat. You know what I'm saying? She, and, and he just ripped out of that and he took off and he ran. Do a Joseph. Don't do a David. Here's what David did. David did this. Yeah, that's what David did. And don't do a Samson. Samson did it this. <laughs> Avoid it. Flee. Run from it. Get away from it. If that means you got to take your computer and you got to throw it out in the garbage, do it. If that means you've got to cancel your subscription to cable or dish or whatever else they've created, do it. If that means you have to take your smartphone and get rid of it and stomp on it, stomp on it, guys. It's not worth it. It will enslave you. It will destroy you. And it ruins your potential to magnify the glory of God. Look what he says here. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Now, this is a highly debated passage, and I don't know who's right. I've read so many different interpretations of this, but I'm going to give you what I think. When you look at it, you first say, well, how can sexual immorality be against the body? And I mean, doesn't drunkenness hurt your body? Doesn't drugs and gluttony and all those other things? Yes, they do. But I think the answer lies perhaps in the context of the whole passage and perhaps also the Greek word. The Greek word here for body is soma, and it's different from the word for just flesh, which is sarx. It's different than that. Soma refers to the whole personality and, and being. Sexy is more than a physical act. And I quote, intercourse involves the whole person, not just the body. It is the most intimate sharing that human beings experience. A spiritual union takes place. Sexual relations affect the inner unseen conditions of the individuals. And so individuals are are involved very deeply. So when you take part in sexual immorality... You're outside of God's plan. You're outside of His safety. And you expose that inner person. And those inner deep emotions and feelings. You, you, you bring someone else into that. And you even bring the spiritual part of it. Uh, someone else into that. Into your life. And that can injure you in profound and deep ways. Because it was something that was never meant to be shared with someone else but God and whom He ordained for you to marry. Men who have lived sexually promiscuous lives have reported that uh, they have never entered into even the most casual and passionate or passing liaison where they were thinking these kind of things up up ahead, ahead of it. But when they met the girl afterward, there was a change. They didn't think there would be up front, but when they saw the girl afterwards, there was a change. I quote, there is a deep sense of having shared a mystery together. They cannot help but feel there has been an intimacy that can never be forgotten, that has stamped them to some degree. See, That's how powerful sex is. It'll stamp you. Forever. I think it's also a sin against the body because the body is the Lord's. It's a member of Christ's own body. And as they'll say here in verse 19, the believer's body is also a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I think the it's sin against your body because there's such a deep uh, union that is formed and deep emotions, but also because of whose it is. Look what Paul writes in Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Paul is saying, I want you to think about this. When you go to those temple prostitutes to have this this appetite in you met, you're taking the Holy Spirit there with you. And they say, Why? Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In the past, in the Old, Temp- the Old Testament temples, there would be a place to where God was set apart, where it was to be a place that was sacred, that was to be a place where uh, it was kept pure from all types of immorality. In the New Testament, God makes His literal dwelling. In us as believers. And He wants His temple to be kept sacred. Set apart. Pure. Holy. Don't take it to some prostitute. Don't involve yourself in sexual immorality. You know, most people would never think in their wildest dreams of committing sexual sin in this place right here, would they? But the reality is God doesn't dwell in auditoriums or gyms. He's chosen through His Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And there's nowhere we can go to escape that. We so often think it's my body to do whatever I want to do with it. Not so. You are not your own. You're not your own. For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I want you want you to end with some grace here, folks. On the cross of Jesus Christ there's a cross in there. On that cross that He invites you to. And what He accomplished on that cross. He took all those sins that uh, Paul had mentioned beforehand. The idolatry, the, the, the dissensions, the uh, fornication. All them were He took all those things up. And he, those things were laid upon Him. Those things that He knew you and I were going to do. He laid upon Himself. And he died for those things. He was buried and rose again. And through that death, he bought you and I back from the slave block of sin. That is, you and I no longer have to be enslaved of such sexual immorality or other things in our life, but he has purchased us and he now owns us. And the awesome thing about him is our owner, as opposed to sin as our owner, is that He is a good God. He is a good owner. He is gracious. He is righteous. He is full of mercy and forgiveness. And He loves you so much that He would send in His inspired word a message like this. To let you know under my ownership and you as my body, I will not let you, I do not want you to put yourself back on that slave block. But I want you to enjoy my grace and my goodness and my perfect plan for you. And if you want to enjoy sex as it's truly meant to be in my design, it must be done my way. And I will get the glory and you will experience real satisfaction and joy in your life. St. Augustine was a A significant leader in the church back in the 300 AD. Matter of fact, you can still read his writings today. But Saint Augustine had a uh, significant problem with the issue of sexual uh, immorality in his life. It was uh, quite a struggle in his life, and he he often used to uh, pray. Uh, He used to pray. He said, "God, make me pure. God, make me pure." but not just yet. That's how much he struggled with it. Make me pure, pure, God, but just not yet. There came a point in his life where God really got a hold of him. And he came to a place of real repentance in his life. And He came to a place where he had to make the decision that I'm no longer going to associate with the people that dragged me or helped me Facilitate me in this sexual morality. I'm no longer going to go to those places where I used to go where these things took place. So he cut that off in his life. But once, he had to go back for reasons of business to a place that was close to some of his old hauntings. And while he was there, all of a sudden, he he heard a voice, a familiar voice calling out to him. Augustine, Augustine. We've missed you. Where have you been? And Augustine stopped and he turns around and he looks, and lo and behold, it was one of his old flames. Kind of stricken with panic and fear in his life, he did the only thing that he could think of. He took off running down the street. And as he's running, the old flame shouts out to him, Augustine, Augustine, why are you running? It's only me. It's only me. And Augustine, as he's running, he's looking back and he's shouting back for me. I'm running. I'm running because I'm not me. There was a man who began to understand that his body was the Lord's. That his body was a member of the body of Christ. And that it was the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own, folks. Your body has been bought. It has been purchased. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Amen. Dear God, we come and we praise You. We thank You for Your words. We thank You that You give us truth, Lord. And Lord, my prayer is right now is for all of us. Lord, there's, there's, we're all here in different places in our life. Lord, there are some who You have given victory. And perhaps maybe this has actually never really been a struggle for them. And Lord, we thank You for Your grace in that. There are also there are some here who are parents And Lord, I pray that you give these parents courage and strength that they will not shy away from talking about these issues with their children. That they will perhaps even take this very word right here and this very passage and they will open it up and they will just even take these notes and begin to walk through it with them, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will give them the courage. May they make a commitment to do that now and may they follow through with that. Then, Lord, there are others. There are others who are struggling with their own past guilt. And, Lord, I pray that they might remember what you accomplished for them on the cross. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That you died for that sin before they even committed it. May they rest in your grace. And then, Lord, there's others here who are struggling with sexual immorality right now. My prayer for them is that your Holy Spirit will convict them. You convict them because you love them. And you want to deliver them from such bondage. You want them to come and to enjoy the safety and security that is found in following you. My prayer is for those who are trapped in sexual immorality, Lord. May you humble them. May they repent. And may they seek help, Lord. Lord, may they know that we're here and we love them. Nothing really shocks us, Lord. Lord, I'm well aware of how feeble, frail, and apt to fail mankind is. So, Lord, I pray if someone's struggling, they will come. They will come and they get help. Allow us to point them to your grace, Lord. Lord, I pray that you do a great work of healing and restoration in this church. In this issue, Lord, I pray. And that through that, your body, that you will be glorified.
1: And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I tell you, it's not God's Word. Powerful, like a sharp two-edged sword. And it just cuts right down to the very real issues of our hearts and our life. And God does that because he is so, so in love with us that he's committed to our well-being. Let me just remind you, as Matt had just prayed, hey, God never sees us who are in Christ in our sin. He always sees us in his Son like we talked about last week, let us draw near with a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. And I don't know where you're at after hearing a message like this and encountering God's word. But your eyes can be lifted up to our help and to our savior. And you can hold your head high because Christ has cleansed us from all of our sin. And we're new creations in Him. Praise God, huh?